Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everybody, to a special edition of the Pot of Gold Extra Point. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined by the one and only Eric Hansen and the young and restless Carter Carls. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for ND Insider and the South Bend Tribune. Uh, the Irish are off this weekend, and Tom Noy is on basketball duty, but we still wanted to give our lovely listeners a recruiting-centric podcast ahead of the early signing period that starts on Wednesday. Uh, we have Carter here to help us, of course, but we didn't want to stop there. Uh, so we also extended an invitation to Mike Farrell, the national recruiting director for Rivals.com, to bring us a national perspective on Notre Dame recruiting. Mike, thanks for joining us. No problem. Mike, before we, we dive into some of the particulars about Notre Dame's recruiting class, I wanted to start sort of broad with what it's been like to cover this recruiting cycle during the, the pandemic. How difficult has it been to evaluate guys and in what ways have you maybe tried to adapt to still have the same kind of insight that you guys would normally have? Yeah, evaluation's been difficult, obviously. Everything shut down in the spring, so we only got half of our camps, and all the seven-on-sevens were shut down. The All the college summer camps, which hurts is the uh, college coaches' evaluations, were shut down. So, And then there's teams not playing, you know, which is always difficult. Like, like there's high school states that have shut down, and some are. So you have to weigh all that. Um, some guys have opted out. So it's been a mess uh, evaluation-wise. You know, you just go back to film and you go back to what you've seen. Luckily for the 2021 class, we've seen these kids for about four years. So nothing's new to us. Uh, but if the pandemic lasted like a good three recruiting cycles, there would be a whole lot of trouble. Uh, you know, not with us, but college coaches just guessing on kids. Mike, and just following up on that, uh, schools had to really pivot to virtual recruiting pretty quick. Um, and including some of these unofficial, unofficial visits where, where kids were kind of self-guided and so forth. I wondered if you felt like there were any programs that really got that right and any programs that normally do well that really struggled. You know, initially the struggle was at Alabama because uh, Nick Saban and technology don't go together. <laughs> um, and they really do a good job of, of you know, closing kids when they get them on campus. And, uh, you know, the, the in-person recruiters, the guys that absolutely love it, struggled a bit. Um, and Tennessee, believe it or not, did an amazing job of Jeremy Pruitt, but their class is kind of falling apart because their season was so horrible. So um, the challenge is, you know, it's so different. The relationships are, are built on visits. And now you can't have that. You know, they're built on their atmosphere. They're built on, you know, uh, what you can tell the kid about how he fits into a program, what he would bring to your program. And, and all of that stuff is, is by the wayside now. So you can say that on Zoom, you could do virtual tours on Zoom, but it's still a lot of guesswork. So I, I would say nobody really thrived 
uh, Alabama struggled and, of course, responded and changed and they have the number one class in the country. So you don't worry about them. But I think what it's going to do is it's going to help some of the smaller programs. Uh, and, and by smaller, I say mid-level, your, your Iowa's, your Wisconsin's, where, you know, kids are making a decision less on visiting. Uh, those are beautiful places, but they're hard to get to and more on just solid data. Um, so you see a little uptick in classes like that and, and maybe a downslide in some of the classes with new coaches like Florida State because Mike Norvell has never had an opportunity to get out there and sell as a Florida State head coach, and that's a nightmare. Mike, I wonder just with the dead period, just being from the beginning of the pandemic and now they've stretched it to April 15th, could be stretched more just depending on how things go around the country, it appears. Is that something you agree with? Uh, Notre Dame's had to like land quite a few commits that had never even seen campus before. And it seems like the sentiment just from, from several recruits has just been that, and this isn't fair, like let us take our own risk or at least have some sort of way to, if it's you know limiting the amount of recruit, recruits that can come to campus or having protocols in place, for when you're hosting these visits, do you think the NCAA should have some sort of way to compromise this? Or do you agree that this should be extended until whenever we can get everything figured out? No, I, I agree with the decision. And, and I'm not a big shutdown football, liberal, you know, oh, my God, the, the world is ending type of guy. Um, I was all for football. But the visits are the difficult part. And I've talked to many coaches about this and administrators about this. And it's one of those things where it's hard enough to keep your own guys healthy, but to bring in additional players from all around the country, all flying for the most part, many of them flying um, with family. Uh, you have no idea who they've, hung out with you can't contract trace them it would just open up a, a can of worms that could have shut down the football season um now that there's not a football season you still have to worry about the people on your own campus you have to worry about because a lot of these kids go to basketball games right you know during the winter um so it's still a, a tricky situation and i know the kids are upset i know they're missing out i know this is unfair to them but I, I just feel for college football to be played this year at the level we were able to play it, which is kind of a mess, but you know, Notre Dame's gotten through all their games. Um, bringing kids all over the country would have just caused a problem and, and potentially been one of the things that shut down college football. Mike, let's get into Notre Dame's 2021 class a little bit. It, I don't, it could be a, a specific player or maybe a group of players, but what do you mo like most about what Notre Dame's done in this 2021 class? Well, I, I like the offensive line, of course, and they, they continue to recruit at a high level. Um, you know, stealing Caleb Johnson late is a good one. He's a sort of a project kid. I think that that could be excellent down the line. Spindler, Rocco Spindler is a, a mauler, brawler inside. Um, you know, Joe Alt is another kid with a high upside that's going to have to fill out. And then, you know, Pat Coogan, is a another big brawler mauler type and, and Blake Fisher is your your gem of the class uh, a five star now I will tell you this you know we had some disagreements as to whether 
Fisher was a five star or not. And, and I kind of took, I took, uh, over in that process and just said, listen, you know, this kid's got the ability, uh, he's a dancing bear and, and he, he, he has the ability to go there and be a, uh, an all American and first rounder. So let's take a chance on him. Um, he's not there yet, but I think he could get there. So I love the offensive line. Um, I, I really like the defensive back group because they needed to address that and get a, getting Philip Riley back was huge for them because I, I like him a lot. Um, and then, you know, we'll see. I mean, the wide receiver position, I love Lorenzo Styles. I'm not as sold on, on uh, Deion Colsey as some others are. Uh, I do like Jaden Thomas quite a bit. I think he's better than Colsey. Um, you know, they got two tight ends. One I like in Mitchell Evans. Kane Barong is – Okay. Um, and then, you know, the running back situation, they would have liked to get somebody a little bit more established than Logan Diggs, but it all comes down to Tyler Buckner. That's what it all comes down to. Is he the next guy? You know, can he be a guy who wins games and doesn't make mistakes, which is what Ian Book is doing? He's not really winning games. He's just making sure they don't lose him. Um, and I, I worry about Buckner a little bit because his – throwing style has changed so much and someone got in his head and changed what he was successful at. Um, before I ask my next question, I do want to follow up on Buckner. If you were advising him, would you have said, Hey, Tyler, hang out, stay out in California and try to play a high school season if they're going to play it in the spring, or do you think he's better off coming to Notre Dame as an early enrollee, which is his plan? Yeah, no, come to, come to Notre Dame. You know, this whole spring thing, first of all, there's 0% chance it's going to happen. There's no way on earth the state of California is going to allow a high school football season. And, and that's been the case since August, I believe. So, you know, the false hope is there. Uh, but no, I would tell them, get on campus and let us fix some of the things that whoever got in your head ruined for you. And not ruined. I mean, he's a good player, obviously, but you know, he's missing a year of development, which is huge. And, and people don't realize that, you know, that's a full year of competitive high school football. Um, you know, the Elite 11, we saw him in the summer, and that's when he had his throwing motion changed. We don't know how that would impact him in games because we haven't seen it yet. So get him on campus, see what he's doing, fix it, and get him ready. Uh, forget about this pipe dream of a high school season and in the spring, because it's just not going to happen. And then Mike, I wanted to follow up with that. Um, You know, the question I get, and I'm not deep into the recruiting thing, but the casual fan wants to know, is Notre Dame ever going to get a bump from this season? Are they going to get a bump from beating Clemson? And when will that show up? Is it the 2022 class perhaps? Yeah, it's always the year after. You know, because as you enter the season, you're usually about 75% done um, with your recruiting for, for uh, kids entering their senior year. So you do get a little bump at the end. Um, you know, maybe, you know, we talked off air, maybe you get a CR right, you know, when you wouldn't have had that opportunity before because your season was so good and, you know, he's making the extra effort to get out there and visit. Um, maybe you convince a Donovan Edwards to come there, even though I think he's probably headed to the SEC or staying at Michigan. 
But the 2022 is where you're going to see a lot more interest in Notre Dame and you're going to see a lot more kids very interested in, in, in going there because of the success they've had. Um, you know, it looks like they're going to be in the playoff. I mean, even if they lose to Clemson, I think they should be in the playoff. Um, and that's going to be a, a huge selling point for them. You know, the only thing they have to worry about is some NFL team coming in and saying, wow, this Brian Kelly guy, we want him for our, you know, NFL team and uh, and he's flirted with the NFL in the past so you know that's the only worry you have but and keeping your assistance I mean obviously they're going to lose uh, a few guys based on having tremendous years here but overall you're going to see a bump in 2022 yeah Mike kind of in that vein Clark Lee obviously being rumored to you know possibly consider some head coaching jobs after this season with with what he's done with this defense Wondering what you think Notre Dame would lose from a recruiting perspective with Clark Lee and then just what you would like to see from them in terms of replacing him. If you'd like to see a guy like Mike Elston get his shot and then maybe they replace Mike Elston with a good recruiter on the defensive line. Or if you think you keep Mike Elston where he is with how he's recruited that defensive line and get in a DC from elsewhere. Um, you know, it's all personal taste and I'm not sure what Brian Kelly is thinking. Uh, obviously Clark is, is a tremendous coach. Uh, he's got ties to Vanderbilt and a lot of people think that, you know, they're going to make a strong push for him. He's got it as well. They're clearly going to make a strong push for him, but he's got to decide whether he wants to take that challenge on and, you know, maybe parlay it into a James Franklin, you know, multi-million dollar bigger job. Um, I would say Elston, you know, I think he's earned it. Um, and then get yourself, you know, a, a young defensive line coach who can recruit and, you know, sort of keep things as in-house as possible because it's working. But again, as a, as a CEO of a, of a team, you know, which Brian Kelly is, you've got to, you got to make these decisions based on who's out there and who's available. Uh, there might be a defensive coordinator out there that he feels very comfortable with that he's worked with in the past and he'd come in and there's really no teaching to be done. He's comfortable with the defense and, and all the schemes that they run. So we'll see about that. I mean, when, when Diaco left, I really thought it was going to be the end of the world. And well, it was for a while with Van Gorder, but then they got past that. <laughs> well, yeah, that was, a, that was not a good hire. And, 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 and Diaco turned out to be a horrible head coach. Yeah. Horrible. As we knew he would be. Right. I mean, you know, anybody who's met Diaco knows he's a little bit off. And, uh, you know, <laughs> those who, you know, those at UConn that sat down and said, this is our guy, it's very confusing to me. But that defense was so good. And, you know, it went from so good to so bad and then back to good. You just got to find the right guy. And, and, and it's also the parts. You know, Notre Dame doesn't recruit any more five-star defensive ends five-star defensive tackles. Um, you know, they try, but they don't get them. They usually end up getting like your, your, your three high threes or low four guys that are tough and physical. And, you know, Rubio is a great example, Gabriel Rubio, and can play multiple positions for you. Um, you know, Rubio could be a huge D end if you needed him to be, or it could be a three technique, or he could even be a, you know, zero tech um that's what they're getting and they're coaching these kids up 
And, and I think that's more important than anything else. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy with the way they're recruiting on the defensive side of the ball. When you look at it, you look at their linebackers, they got a five, a four star and a three star. Uh, you know, the defensive line is a bunch of three stars and a four star. I don't care because of the way they're developing these kids. And if they can find somebody that will keep that development going and, and play aggressive football, but smart football like Notre Dame plays, then they're going to be fine. Mike, speaking of five stars, Jordan Johnson was a five star in the 2020 class that Notre Dame recruited as a wide receiver. Um, but he hasn't played this much this season, I think, to the dismay of Notre Dame fans because anytime there's a five star recruit, everyone wants to see him right away. Was, 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 has his lack of playing time been surprising to you? Uh, or, and did you feel like he was a guy that was a lock to play as a freshman, or is this not terribly surprising and, and uh, still have high hopes for his uh, career moving forward? Oh, high hopes for sure. I mean, Notre Dame's different. Um, you know, if he were going to a program where he didn't choose the school based on academics and 40-year decision and all that other stuff, and they were worried that he was going to jump in the portal after three games of not playing, he would have played. Um, but Notre Dame's different. You know, the kids choose Notre Dame for different reasons. Um, he's big, he's, he's fast, he's athletic. He just has to get used to the speed of the game. Um, and you look at guys who just sort of bloom on a trajectory like Claypool, you know, who are big receivers who are a little bit raw. And then every year they get it a little bit more. And now Claypool's an NFL star and, you know, turned out to be, uh, have a great career at Notre Dame at the end there. That's kind of the trajectory I see for Jordan Johnson, but I get it. Like, you don't, you don't get a ton of five stars. Um, so you want them to play right away. And then you look around at the Clemsons and Alabamas and Ohio States in the world and all their five stars are playing and you're wondering why yours isn't, but that's kind of the Notre Dame way. They're not going to just throw you out there. Now, Michael Mayer's different because they had a, they had a need there. And he's a cyborg. He's a giant. Um, you know, so they're like, well, w- w- Jordan Johnson, what, what's wrong with him? He's never going to play. It's his freshman year. He'll be fine. Mike, you kind of referenced this when you were talking about the defensive line, but I'm wondering if it's universal. Again, with me being less in recruiting and more kind of in the mainstream coverage, I get a lot of this from. Notre Dame fans, they get upset when Notre Dame gets a commitment from a three-star guy. And I'm, I'm wondering what you would tell them about three-star prospects. Do you think that Notre Dame is making mistakes, that they're not aiming high enough, or that these are good players, maybe they're just not finished products? What's kind of your philosophy about three-stars? Well, the three-star has been ruined in recruiting, and, and I'll blame – the recruiting company down south. I won't name their name, but it's been ruined. Um, you know, there used to be twos, threes, fours, fives, and a level of two, a level of three, a level of four, a level of five. <clears throat> then all of a sudden, 10 years ago, another company came along and started giving everybody threes. And it devalued the three. So we're trying to sell to people, hey, this kid's not bad. Jason Anye from Warwick is a five, six, three star. And they're like, oh, he's a three star. He sucks. It's, it's ridiculous. But when you see, you know, Grand Prairie University getting three stars and you're Notre Dame, you're like, what the hell? You know, excuse my French, this is Notre Dame. But what is going on here? So to me, 
it's 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 an industry thing uh, that has sort of I guess changed the perception of people that anything less than a four stinks, and that is so so untrue. Um, and it's unfortunate. Not there's no way to stop it, you know, because people are naturally going to gravitate towards the highest ranking. You know, if we have Blake Fisher ranked higher than anybody else, we're the smartest people on earth. But if we have Lorenzo Styles ranked lower than everybody else, we're idiots. And, you know, the three stars just don't get the attention that they deserve. But look at the draft. There are at least 12, maybe sometimes 15 three-star kids taken in the, in the first round of the NFL draft every year. But part of that's because there's more of them. But also part of that is because these are good players who just haven't hit their stride yet. I mean, if Jason Anye turns out to be Quiddy Pay at Michigan, Notre Dame fans are going to be pretty happy with that and not care that he was a three-star 5-6. But that's what he is right now because he's really raw. So that's my rant on that. It's just it's frustrating to me because I think it caters to the fans more than, than ranking should. Rankings are for the fans, but you, you can't make everybody happy. I mean, my goodness, if, if you, some people say, let's rank based on offers. I'm like, oh, geez, are you kidding me? Like every kid's got an uncommittable offer in their bag. And, and who am I supposed to listen to? Dabo or Nick Saban or Ryan Day or Dan Mullen or Ed Orgeron? Like who, each of them like kids differently. So who do I believe their offer weighs more than another one? So I just say, let it play out. Don't be upset. Make sure your kid's a fit for the program. Some of them are athletically challenged. Will Scheitzer is not going to be a freak. <clears throat> We're not looking at a, a, a possible top five NFL pick, but he's going to grow into his frame. He's going to have a motor that doesn't stop, um, and he's going to really help you not only in the in the pass rush but with the running game as well when it gets bigger and stronger. So that's that's key. And he's a three-star. Mike, I wanted to jump in because of what you're talking about in terms of deferring to sort of offer list to impact your recruiting. I imagine it's, it's kind of hard to ignore that, though, when you, when you are evaluating guys. So I, when it comes to Notre Dame, is there a position group where you say, well, Notre Dame has offered that kid or Notre Dame, that kid is committed to Notre Dame, where you say, well, I, we have a low ranking for this kid. What are we not seeing? Should we maybe reevaluate and see if we still <laughs> hold, hold firmly in the belief that we have him at? You always reevaluate. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, if, 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 if Iowa offers some tight end we've never heard of, we're going to take a second look because <laughs> they kind of know what they're talking about at tight end, you know, and <clears throat> Wisconsin and Notre Dame with offensive linemen, there's just certain schools that you'll take a second look. It doesn't mean you're going to change your mind, but you always reevaluate. We never claim to know more than coaches ever. Um, I mean, they're coaches, you know, we're, we're scouts and I've been doing this for a very, very long time. <clears throat> so I got a feel for what coaches want to see. Uh, and that gives me a little bit of an advantage over someone who hasn't been doing this a long time, but you know, they know what they like. They know what fits into their system. Uh, the problem with offers is that every kid has 50 now, you know, it, it used to be, because they're verbal offers, and now you don't have to send a written offer till their senior year, and the NCAA changes. It used to be junior year. So now you can offer anybody. I, I probably have five verbal offers myself right now and don't even know it. But, it, you know, when I go check that mailbox, they're not going to be there in writing. So 
that's the problem with offers is these kids get so hyped up. Plus kids lie about offers. There's iffy offers. You know, I've asked schools, did you offer this kid? Well, we want him to think he's offered because we want to stay in it. But he's a plan C guy for us. Well, that doesn't answer my question. Does he have an (laughs) offer or not? You know, so there's all these nuances that come with it. So people who look at offer lists and say, how could this kid be a three star with that offer list? Or sometimes you look at a kid who's a, a five star and has 16 offers. Well, no one else offered him because they knew he was going someplace. Uh, you just can't go based on offers at all. Mike, uh, you, you mentioned this to me, I think, in an interview a month ago and, and maybe a couple other times that you, you don't feel like Notre Dame can recruit top five unless they change something, unless they, I think you said, take the handcuffs, handcuffs off Brian Kelly and, and loosen the academic requirements. Do you think that is like a realistic thing that they can do or like, what would that exactly look like? To what degree can they do that? And do you feel like, you know, right now with them headed toward a top 10 class, is that kind of the ceiling that you think it is that, that just when they have these larger classes, they can be top 10, but, but not top five. Yeah. I mean, top five is like really difficult because your, your typical top five, are your, you know, Alabama's, Georgia's, Ohio State's, LSU's, uh, you know, Florida some years, all schools that don't have to worry about academics. And, and I'm not saying they're taking, you know, kids that can't spell cat, but they don't have to worry about the things that Notre Dame has to worry about. Um, can it change? Yeah. Will it? No. Because the administration, it's always the administration versus athletics. Well, we're Notre Dame. We're a, a high-level academic institution. And so you got your, your, your nerds, as I call them, who are 10 times more successful than I am and 10 times smarter than I am, but I still like to call them nerds, that want to maintain the academic integrity of Notre Dame, right down to the last player on the football team. And then you got your coaches, your jocks, who are like, come on, this kid's so good. I know he's a minimal qualifier, but let's take a chance. And he could change our entire program. And you get that argument constantly at Notre Dame where you don't get that at other schools. And, and I don't see that changing. Back in the Lou Holtz days, <clears throat> it was a little different because there wasn't as much information out there um, in recruiting. You know, back then you got a magazine once a year, maybe twice a year. Uh, and you could sort of hide any sort of academic risks you can't hide that now. And Notre Dame's administration is very aware of that. So I don't think it's going to change. I think top 10 is great. But, you know, listen, you've got to feel for Brian Kelly because people want top five. But he's not playing on an even playing field here. Well, all right, Mike, that's all we got for you. We really appreciate you taking time to join us. And uh, good luck with, I'm sure, what will be a eventful uh, early signing period. It will be a little busy, yes. Thanks. <laughs> we'll get back to the podcast in a moment, but first, a word from Coors Light. The holidays can definitely add some unwanted stress. These days, everything is go, go, go. Nonstop hustle has taken over, and it's kind of a lot. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the cans or bottles even turn blue when chilled to perfection. Coors Light is brewed with a three-step cold process, 
cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged, so it's actually made to chill. As the games are getting hotter, reach for the mountain cold refreshment of a cold Coors Light. You can even have Coors delivered to your door. Go to get.coorslight.com and find local delivery options near you. So when you want to reset your busy life, reach for the beer that's made to chill, Coors Light. Celebrate responsibly, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys, are we done with USC? Everybody's done. You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right, let's go. Carter Carls put out the signal for questions on Twitter, so we're going to feed him these lobs and watch what he does with them. Uh, first one is from Frank Sarah at Frank Sarah 3 Do you think Notre Dame will get any more recruits in the 2021 class? That is certainly the objective. They're at 24 commitments right now. They are looking to add at least maybe one or two to this class. Uh, I think they're going to go through February as well. And really, I think there's only one that they could potentially add next week, the December 16th through 18th early signing period. Donovan Edwards is the big name to watch out. Running back out of Michigan, uh, really keeps it close to the vest. His whole recruitment appears like Notre Dame and Michigan are among his top schools. And we're going to see what happens there. If, if he does not pick Notre Dame, I expect Notre Dame to look at a couple other backs. They've been talking with Audric Estime, uh, a commit at Michigan State. They've been talking with Byron Car- Cardwell out of California. Been talking to a couple other running backs. And then at cornerback, they, they've really lasered in on Sierra Wright out of Los Angeles, Loyola, a four-star top 100 guy would be a huge addition to this recruiting class. And he's deciding in January. So you got a couple guys who will be deciding after the December early signing period, Sierra Wright, uh, Byron Cardwell, Audric Estime. It looks like he's going to take it to February. So they're not going to be done in the three-day early signing period. And, I think they have room to add a couple more. Okay. Well, there are a whole bunch of people, including me, that was too many to name, but they want to know what's going to happen with Louisiana running back Logan Diggs now that home state Louisiana State, LSU, has submitted an offer to him. Yeah, that was a big offer that he received uh, just last night, Wednesday night, if I can remember my days correctly. Um, They're all washed nowadays, but – yeah, he, he that was a big school for him early on in the recruiting process. But my gut feeling, and just with people I've talked to, I think he is still going to sign with Notre Dame next week during the early signing period. And there's a couple reasons why. Number one, LSU was a school he had kind of dreamed about growing up the, that he really liked. But they kind of turned him off early in the recruiting process because they liked him as a linebacker. And he was, he, he felt a little disrespected that by that. He, he thought, Hey man, like I can play running back at the next level. I, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Um, so that was one thing. Another thing is until he visited Notre Dame for the Syracuse game, it, he was kind of frustrated with this whole process of, of gosh, I haven't even been in the school yet ever. And now that he has been to Notre Dame and that he really enjoyed that trip he, he's not as, you know, he's not as frustrated anymore. And he, he's a lot more confident in that decision. And then you just compare the programs right now, Notre Dame, 
10-0, ACC championship game, likely to make the college football playoff. And then LSU um, is in complete shambles right now. Three wins. Uh, players might be transferring. Uh, Ed Ordron's looking like the next Gene Chizik. Um, it, it's just not a great situation at LSU right now. And I, I think for them to come in a week before signing, the week before the early signing period, it's just not enough time to allow them to make enough ground. Now, I, I do want to caution with in-state guys in Louisiana, LSU, no matter how good, how bad they are, that can be like a dream school to some guys. And there is still a week left, so we'll see how it goes. But just from people I've talked to, they've felt like Logan Diggs has been a guy that um, has communicated with the Notre Dame coaching staff. He's communicated with the commits. He feels really good about his commitment. Um, so we'll have to see where this goes. And because this podcast is going to be posted a few days later than we recorded, We'll see if anything changes materially, but as of Thursday, I'm feeling good about his commitment. Yeah. And that would be significant too, because Notre Dame doesn't really beat kids from Louisiana that want have LSU offers that Jerry Tillery's, I think probably the only one that's happened during the Brian Kelly era. Um, next question we have is from uh, Brad Hughesby at Brad H uh, Hughes underscore 30. If Logan Diggs decommits is Notre Dame still set on taking two running backs is that one high schooler and one transfer, question mark? Well, I think the big one to watch is really Donovan Edwards, and they'll go from there after that. I think they've got a couple guys on hold. I mentioned Audrey Kostime. They haven't actually offered him yet. They've been in communication with him, but they haven't, fit, they haven't given out an official offer. So I think they're kind of waiting to see what happens with Donovan Edwards, and then they're going to kind of base everything off of that because – you know, by the December signing period, they might have Logan Diggs and Donovan Edwards signed. And so you wouldn't need to add any running backs. But if they lost on Diggs and they didn't get Edwards, then, yeah, maybe they're going to have to end up getting Audrey Kostime. Maybe they go harder after Byron Cardwell out of California. Maybe they offer a couple other guys. And then maybe they consider the grad transfer market. So I think it all kind of depends on what happens with Donovan Edwards because – you know, I think with all the focus earlier this cycle, it was all Will Shipley, all Will Shipley. And then when he committed to Clemson, it, the perception was, well, man, Notre Dame lost. Uh, they, they got no hope this cycle. They settled on a three-star running back. But Donovan Edwards is just as good, if not better, than Will Shipley. He's a top 50 guy, four-star running back, and lots, lots to like in his game. So I think if they were to get him – you almost don't need another running back, but I could see a reality where maybe they, they keep Logan Diggs and they have a two-back class. Okay, Carter, this one is from John Dillon at Dills127. Name one offensive and defensive recruit commit you expect to make an impact on the field next year. Well, I feel like Tyler Buckner is kind of the obvious answer. Um because he, he could possibly win that starting job. So I'm going to skip that one, and I'm just going to pick Lorenzo Styles. Uh, I'm really high on this kid. I think he has a chance to be one of the best slot receivers Notre Dame's had in a long time. And uh, that's a position where they haven't got a ton of production under Brian Kelly. Um, and Avery Davis has had a pretty good year this year um, in terms of just – 
how he's achieved relative to his expectations. But I still think it's a position that needs a lot more production. Uh, it's a position where they haven't really achieved much uh, under Brian Kelly. And I think that could change with Lorenzo Styles. I think he's talented enough to be a kick returner next year. I think he's talented enough to get into that rotation as slot receiver. On the defensive side, I think the easy choice for me is, is Gabriel Rubio. And, and that's just because you look historically under Mike Elston and he, he's constantly rotating young guys in the, into the interior defensive line. Uh, 2017, Myron Tagovail Omosa, Kurt Heinisch, both got playing time as true freshmen. Jason Adimalola in 2018 got playing time as a true freshman. Jacob Lacey, 2019, playing time as a true freshman. And then Riley Mills this year. Now he's seeing some time at defensive tackle with some injuries. So I think Gabriel Rubio is kind of the logical, oh, he, he could work his way into the rotation. He's a four-star guy out of Missouri. I think he's talented enough. He's already got that size. So I think he can physically withstand that. And uh, I think he's a good option. And another guy I like is Philip Riley at cornerback. I, I think he's got a real shot of cracking the starting lineup, either as a freshman or as a sophomore. Um, and I think there's going to be an opening at boundary cornerback next year with Nick McLeod uh, likely being done. And so I think he will have a, a chance to compete for that starting position. All right. Next question we have is from Drew Brennan at Drew Brennan 77. Who does Prince Cali remind you of? Is he a Jeremiah Usu Koromoa clone or is there someone else on Notre Dame's roster whom he resembles? Yeah, I think Jock is kind of the logical comparison when when you just look at what both of them are good at in high school Jeremiah Usukormo was much like Prince Colley played a lot of different positions uh was really twitchy but but he wasn't like at this set position and you weren't sure oh can he play rover will he play inside linebacker could he be a safety like can he rush off the edge like what are we doing here Prince Colley is the same way they line him up at running back They've lined them up, up at receiver. They've lined them up at uh, inside linebacker, outside linebacker, safety sometimes. Um, size is kind of the one question. He's at 6'1", 210 right now. Uh, so, you know, playing inside could be a challenge for him. But I think Rover is just like the perfect fit I, just because of how he can move laterally, how he can rush off the edge, the, just that twitchiness that he brings. And, and how physical he is for his size. Uh, just seeing what he did at running back this year uh, was, was special. How he was just trucking some guys over. So I think there's a lot of comparisons to be made between him and Jeremiah Usukoromoa, who is also a very physical player. And I think Rover is kind of the suitable position for him. Okay, the next question is from Sean at Sean O'Brien. I may be butchering that. Maybe it's Sean O'Brien. Anyways, what he wants to know is, do you see Notre Dame getting more five-stars or near-five-star recruits in future classes than in past classes, a.k.a. more Michael Mayers and Kyle Hamilton's in future classes? And then how many more, if so? Yeah, well, well, we we just talked with Mike Farrell, and, and kind of the big thing that he was saying was, you know, you're not going to see – this 2020 season, this 10 and 0 season, it's not going to have a huge impact on the 2021 class, but it'll have a big impact in 2022 and 2023. 
we saw what happened with the 2018 season. In, in 2020, their big focus was, all right, we, we've seen what happened. We need to get offensive guys. They got four recruits that were all ranked in the top 70 overall players on 247 sports and rivals. And, and they were recruiting at a level they had not really recruited on the offensive side of the football. And you're seeing them continue that this class with some of the players that they're getting. And I think that will be continued in, in the coming classes because you know, success is a great tool for recruiting. You, you put up back to back to back to back 10 win seasons. You're going to recruit better than, you know, if you're a seven win or eight win team. And then I just like the recent hires that, that Brian Kelly has had on this staff. You look at Lance Taylor at running backs coach. Um, obviously he started with Kyron Williams. That was more an entree Denson recruit. His first one was Chris Tyree. And now he's got a chance to land Donovan Edwards. And if he were to do that, um, you're talking about back-to-back gets Notre Dame hasn't had in a long, long time at that position. Cornerback, I think they added a really good recruiter in Mike Mickens, a cornerback's coach. What they would do uh, if Clark Lee leaves uh, in terms of who they would replace him with, I think that could determine you know the five-star caliber players they could get in the coming cycles. But right now I think they've laid the groundwork with their on-field success and with some of the guys they added to the staff and just kind of their vision and the kind of guys that they're recruiting. All right. Next question we have is from Joshua Valls at the Subway Domer. Uh, rank your favorite Brian Kelly recruiting classes, one to five. Um, he said not highest ranked favorites and guys you like to cover, et cetera, the special sauce. So Eric, I don't know if you, I, I kind of approach this as my experience covering them as recruits. Certainly we end up covering them as players too. And that's when Eric experiences them more frequently. So I don't know if you, have a top five, um, but I, 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 I essentially covered one, two, six recruiting classes. Um, so I kind of ranked those six classes from one to six in terms of how much I enjoyed covering them. So I can go through that. I don't know if Eric, you have a list as well. Well, I, di- I did put together a, a list very quickly <laughs> because I didn't get this question last night when it would have been appropriate. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I was waiting in the Raising Canes line today. <laughs> uh, so I'll go five to one. And, and again, the recruits, you know, if I did it, it would be all defensive linemen. When Tyler and Carter are off, only defensive linemen <laughs> seem to commit for me. So number five, I went with the 2017 class. Obviously, we don't know the 2020 kids that well yet from interviews because we haven't interviewed any of them. <laughs> the 2017 is – a lot of guys with three names, Jeremiah Wusu-Kormoa, Myron Tagovailoa-Amosa, Jordan Jenmar-Keith, who's, you know, headed to UCLA, but was a great interview. Kurt Heinisch is a great interview. So I like that class a lot. Number four, I went with the 2012 group, and it was a smaller class. It was Gunnar Keel's group. I wouldn't put him in the, the uh, uh, group of good interviews, though. I would say um, – you know, you had Ronnie Stanley was in that group. Uh, Jerron Jones. I'm sorry that I think I'm getting. Yeah, that that was that group. Sheldon Day. Uh, but 2012 would be number four. Number three was a really good recruiting class in terms of helping Notre Dame. That was the 2013 class. Greg Bryant, um, Jalen Smith, Corey Robinson, Malik Zaire, Mike McGlinchey. Number two. 
the 2014 class, Niles Morgan, Drew Tranquil, Kaiser, Bars, Q, and of course, one of my all-time favorites, Jay Hayes. Um, and then the number one class, not even close, really wild characters in this class, including some that didn't last, like Aaron Lynch, you had Tuitt, Troy Nicholas, Chase Houndshell, Eshaq Williams, Everett Golson, Matthias Farley, even the kicker Kyle Brinza was kind of a butt kicker, and uh, he was fun to interview. So those would be my rankings. Yeah, th- those guys predated my time. I, so I, I've covered – I essentially covered recruiting for the full classes from 2013, the 2013 class through the 2018 class. So those are the groups I was considering. Um, so I, I did all of them. Number six was the 2017 class. Um, they had a, that, that class had a lot of guys commit late in the recruiting cycle, so you don't get to know them as well. Um, and that, that class also had a few, uh, parents that were heavily involved that, that, um, sometimes that can be a good thing. And sometimes that can be a bad thing. Um, so I, I, that, that, that weighs a big, that weighs, plays a big deal in, in sort of the experience of covering recruiting classes, in my opinion. Um, and so that has something to do with why they're the last on my list. The 2016 class was next. Um, some good characters in that class, Julian Love, uh, Tommy Kramer, Dalen Hayes, Liam Eikenberg, um, but I can't, I can't forgive Troy Pride Jr. for committing on Christmas Eve. Um, although I made Eric post the story after I wrote it, but that's with my a- grandson sitting on my lap, <laughs> he would not let me put him down. <laughs> then, uh, then I went with uh, so the number number four would be the 2015 class. That class had a lot of guys that like to keep to themselves. Uh, Asmar Bilal, uh, Equinemius St. Brown, Josh Adams. They weren't. Um, they didn't love doing interviews as recruits necessarily, which is fine, but it just makes it a little bit more difficult to, to cover the recruiting class in interesting ways. Um, but there are some good families to deal with. Tristan Hodge, Josh Baraja, CJ Sanders, Nico Fertitta, Miles Boykin, Jerry Tillery was in that class. And he was, he was certainly an interesting character. Um, as a recruit, he, he seemed to like me and we got along and he would take my calls and ignore some others. So I didn't have, have as, have as many issues as he cause he was a guy that, he didn't get back to a lot of people when he was visiting other schools down the stretch and everyone was worried that he was going to go to LSU, but stuck with Notre Dame. Uh, the number three, I had the 2018 class. That was a, they had a big group at the opening that year. Um, and I, I was out there for that. Uh, the Adam Alola twins, Ovia Gofu, Bo Bauer, Jamie on Franklin, Paul Moal, a lot of good kids to deal with. Um, Phil, Phil Dracovic was, was uh, always easy to, to get along with as well and, and get a hold of. Um, Braden Lindsay brought the drama in that class. So that was sort of uh, some of the circus part of that class, but it, you got, sometimes it's good to keep things interesting as kids try to figure their way through things. So that was, that was a fun class to cover. And for second runners up the 2014 class, I had a number of guys I liked a lot to cover. Um, Justin Brent, Sam Mustafer, Jay Hayes, like Eric mentioned, Drew Tranquil, obviously Drew Tranquil was, was a good, good interview even in high school. And obviously that was true throughout his career at Notre Dame and, my all-time favorite class of the 2013 class. Um, Mike Hireman has a lot to do that. He would he would, had zero filter when it came to talking to you, um, but a number of other good guys. Obviously, Malik Zaire. He always had something interesting to say. Jalen Smith being like the star of the class, but he wasn't like a a guy that was hard to get in touch with. Steve Elmer, James Onwalu, Devin Butler. A lot of guys that were thoughtful and um, very. That class was very tight knit, and I think it had a lot to do with the. Uh, with their success that they ended up having at Notre Dame. So that was a, that was probably my favorite class to cover. Okay. We'll go now to loyal son at show me Monty. 
Uh, why do we take such low numbers at linebacker? Is it about safety, speed, and length? How about low numbers at defensive tackle? What do you say, Carter? Well, I don't know if I'd say low numbers. I think it varies every year. They took four in the 2019 class. They passed last class. In this class, they'll take two. Uh, now, I think when you look at the current makeup of the roster, you got 10 linebackers, and assuming Jeremiah Lusakormoa leaves, that leaves you with nine. So maybe they think, hey, we don't need to add four linebackers and have you know 13 or, or so on the roster. So, uh, and I think they've gotten some flexibility in terms of this group too, because Kahanu Kia, who they're adding this class, is actually taking a two-year mission uh, for uh, because he's Mormon. So uh, that will actually make him kind of like a 2023 recruit when it comes to scholarship space. Um, but as far as the second question, like, uh, is it about safety speed and length? I'm assuming he's meaning like, is that the kind of linebackers they're recruiting? Um, I think at linebacker, their whole thing is we want a guy who can play multiple positions and be versatile, versatile in that way. And then also be able to cover in space, you know, the way that the game has changed, the way that offenses are now, you need linebackers who aren't 250 pounds and statues. You need guys that can cover in space. You've seen guys begin at Rover, like Jack Kaiser, Maris Lufau, and move over to inside linebacker. They've got a lot of guys that are, you know, uh, not afraid to move positions and, and can do that. So I think they like to get guys that, you know, if, if there's a need at buck linebacker or middle linebacker or rover, they can fill that. Um, as far as defensive tackle, they never really take more than two defensive tackles in a class. That, that's just never like a position where you're needing to load up like crazy. And I think they're feeling pretty good about their young guys right now. I mean, you on the interior at nose guard, you've got Jacob Lacey, you've got uh, Riley Mills, obviously, and then you've got Howard Cross, all guys that, that they've been very impressed with. Um, and I think in this class, you know, they're adding Gabriel Rubio. And I think in Jason Anye, they've got a guy who could play defensive tackle down the road if, if they have that need at the position. Uh, currently he's projecting a defensive end, but I think he's a big enough guy that, that can slide into defensive tackle. So I don't think there's a problem there. I think you can trust Mike Elston with the job he's done with his defensive line. Uh, and, and he's recruiting it and developing at a great level. All right. Last one we have is another one from John Dillon at Dills 127. What effect, if any, does Clark Lee's interviewing for the Vanderbilt job have on Notre Dame's current defensive recruits? Well, I don't know that Clark Lee being this highly sought after coach uh, is a huge surprise to recruits. Like, I think they probably knew that, hey, this guy is doing a pretty good job and he's going to be looking at head coaching jobs potentially. Um, and another thing is Notre Dame recruits don't really commit to Notre Dame for one coach or one position coach. It's, it's a lot more to that to them. It's the academics, it's the faith aspect, it's the tradition uh, the, the combination of football and academics, they'll tell you. Uh, so one guy is, is not going to lose it for them. I think back to Michael Mayer last cycle, Chip Long was his number one recruiter. It was a guy that he talked to about everything. Didn't talk much with Kelly. Didn't talk much with anyone else on the offense, uh, offensive staff. It was pretty much all Chip Long. And 
about a week or two before the early signing period at Notre Dame and Chip Long parted ways and Michael Mayer had to think about it, but he only thought about it for one night. And the next morning he's like, you know what? Yeah. Chip Long is not the reason why I committed to Notre Dame, even though he was the one guy I talked to. So I'm sure it can have an impact, you know, uh, here and there, but at, at Notre Dame, not so much. Really the only guy that you'd have to worry about would be Prince Colley, but I think he is firmly committed to Notre Dame. Uh, and I think that there's, there should be no worry in terms of losing commitments if Clark Lee were to suddenly take a job somewhere else. All right, I'll throw a bonus question there since we didn't get your top five recruiting classes because you haven't covered five recruiting classes. Who's been your favorite recruit to, co- to cover in your time covering recruiting here at uh, covering Notre Dame recruiting? Oh, man. In terms of, like, they were the best to talk to? Yeah, yeah. Most entertaining, easiest to to get in touch with. And, uh, I mean, I guess they don't, those things don't have to be mutually exclusive, but who's who's been the most enjoyable to cover? Um, I think from this class, it, it has been Philip Riley. Um, he's just been wide open, uh, great to talk to, great sense of humor, kind of a down-to-earth kind of guy. Um, and, and really thoughtful in your conversations. Um, I'm, I'm pulling up some of the guys now to refresh my memory, but uh, Philip Riley is someone that comes to mind for sure. Uh, I thought Kyle Hamilton was another uh, who was pretty great just because he was so open, just always seemed to get back to me and had such an interesting story because his story is like 7,000 stories all in one where you, you find out a new thing about him every day, every time you talk to him and his family, there's always like a new thing to uncover with him. Uh, And so those are a couple that come to mind. Uh, KJ Wallace was hilarious. Uh, um, So I enjoyed talking to him. Uh, Drew Pine was, was always extremely open. I think if you're nailing me down and you, Oh, Rocco Spindler, if there's a, a guy who is the funniest in this recruiting cycle, it's Rocco. I actually talked with him last night for a q and I'm doing for the signing day. And, and that guy, uh, really colorful, uh, gives you a lot of great stuff. So if I had to pick one, I'd probably go Kyle Hamilton. And then maybe second would be Rocco Spindler. And then, uh, and then Philip Riley is also in there. So there's a, there's a few guys in that mix, but I'll go Kyle Hamilton. Carter. Do you think Notre Dame is going to be active in the grad transfer market? I think it's possible. Uh, and look what they did last cycle. Uh, they were very active. But it's it's one of those things where y- you don't fully know until it happens. I remember with Isaiah Pryor last year, they weren't active with him until right after he announced he was in the transfer portal. So I think they'll always kind of look into that, that that's kind of their thought is, Hey, never shut a guy down just because or never like discount the idea of adding a grad transfer before you can see the options. I think once they see the options and they assess their needs and they see who has left the roster, they still have a lot of answers in terms of scholarship space, who's declaring for the draft, who's coming back for a fifth or sixth or, seventh year if you count Sean Crawford um, and so I think once they get all those answers they can kind of decide what they're going to do there 
All right. That's it for today's episode of Pot of Gold Extra Point. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Leave us a review and throw us some stars if you like what you hear. Eric and I will be back with another episode and another guest on Tuesday. Until then, stick with NDInsider.com for all your early signing period and ACC championship coverage needs.